This is The Ziggler Show, episode 434, and today we bring you Jeff Goins, a guy who had a good education, good family, a job in a Christian ministry. Instead of giving up big money to go serve in a ministry, he gave up ministry, in a sense, for big money. Now he has a ministry and income bigger than anything he ever planned for. He's doing what he loves. He's writing. He's leading others, showing them how to do what he did. Uh, folks, this is a show that you're going to find intriguing and you can apply to your life right now. So buckle in. Here we go. You're what you are and where you are because of what's going into your mind. You can change what you are. You can change where you are by changing what goes into your mind. You cannot become what you need to be by remaining what you are. If you can't take a huge step to begin with, take as big a step as you can. But take it now. That's the key. Take it now. You can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. Today's a brand new day, and it's yours. Hey, Ziggler Inspired, true performance pursuing listeners. Hello, this is Kevin Miller, your host and radically grateful messenger of hope and encouragement for your life and the lives of all you come into contact with. Today, we've got a show that will set you back on your haunches and cause you to go, hmm, I think you'll have to consider it as I did. You'll have to consider your life, what you have to offer and how can you not offer it and how that is not a gargantuan thing. You can take some simple steps to do that. So here to tell his story and what happened and how he grew to have an amazing income from work. He just loves writing and teaching others to write and make an income from it is Jeff Goins. Uh, let me introduce you to him. I do want to just say thank you to all of you as of the recording of this show. I really don't know what happened, but in iTunes, we have just shot up in the ranks. We, uh, today, this morning, uh, as we've continued to, to climb up the ladder here, we were the third top ranked business podcast in iTunes and the top 10 ranked podcast of all podcasts on the planet. Uh, just thank you. Uh, apparently the experts say that that's attributed to a lot of new subscribers coming along. And, um, I'm just grateful, grateful that people are desiring this inspiration. But what it really tells me is you are share, you're not only listening to the shows, but you're sharing them with other people. So thank you. Putting us up at the top of the ranks like that just exposes us to so many more people who get to hear Zig Ziglar, his message and hear today's bringers of inspiration and motivation like him, uh, like Jeff, we have today. So just thank you for doing that. Please continue to, to share the show. Uh, it is a gift and, uh, just thank you. Well, Hey, Jeff Goins, he is a full-time writer who lives just outside of Nashville, Tennessee, actually lives in Franklin, which was my home for a decade. He lives with his, his wife, son and border collie. And he's the author of four books, including the national bestseller, the art of work. His website is Goins, G O I N S like coins, as you'll hear him say, Goins Writer, W-R-I-T-E-R.com. And it's been visited by more than 4 million people from all over the world. This guy has a big following. Uh, Jeff, as I said in the intro, he had a good job. He was a communications director for Adventures in Missions, a nonprofit Christian organization. He had a young family. He had enough income, but he also loved writing. So he just kept putting out his blogs, trying to do what he could to serve people through his writing. And he had, I think he says in the show, seven or eight different ones before the one that he's known for today. 
And uh, that's where he found his the most resonance is what he says and what he talks about with people, providing them value. And that's what proliferated his message and got him to where he is today. Uh, but a big part of it is he had a specific reason as he was kind of dipping his toe in the water to get serious. And he did. And it's, it's a great story. Today, again, he leads and teaches thousands. How does he do it? Why does he do it? Uh, and what's so special about Jeff uh, specifically? I ask him that, folks. So that's what you're going to get in this show. Now, as you listen to this, you can join him as so many thousands of people have done. And we talk about it a little bit in the show at T-R-I-B-E, like tribe, writers, W-R-I-T-E-R-S.com. But now, listen in as I bring you Jeff Goins. Okay, Bert. Hey, this is Ziegler Show 434 with Jeff Goins. I am pronouncing that correctly. Goins? Goins like coins. Goins yep. like uh-huh. coins. Okay. And we'll start here right off the bat. All right. Hey, Jeff, I have known of you for a long time, uh, actually, a really long time. We have many mutual friends in the, uh, the business and uh, infopreneurship world. Uh, and even in my old hometown of Franklin, Tennessee, where you reside, yeah. but never actually connected. So it's an honor. I'm, I'm really excited to bring you and your story to the Ziegler audience. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me, Kevin. I'm, I'm honored. And, um, you know, when uh, it, this is a small world, infopreneurship is a, is a big word and hard to spell. <laughs> it's but, really uh, hard to say, yeah. When people say, hey, if you haven't heard of me, I always think that's a funny thing. I say, if you haven't heard of me, you're like most people in the world. I never assume that people know who I am, uh, but I'm, I'm honored to be here and, and share with the audience. Well, I, I, again, have run across you, your name, your work uh, a lot for so many years. So, uh, And you were one of the people on the list. I thought, I got to interview the guy sometime and glad it happened now. So I want to hit your story uh, most of all, Jeff, because there's so much in it. I mean, you went from a fairly normal, from my understanding, trajectory of life to now being a best-selling author, speaker, presenter. You lead and influence a big audience of people. Uh, you shared that you found your purpose by helping people get what they want. You learned that from Zig Ziglar. So just in that regard, I want to know a little bit about when was that desire to influence others birthed? What was the root of that, the catalyst in essence? Well, you know, Kevin, I think that um, a lot of uh, people talk about it like I had a vision for my life and then I executed that vision and I followed these seven steps and it was great. And my experience was was not that way. I sort of stumbled across my purpose. And the more I talk to people, the more I realize that um, this is the way it works for a lot of us. And so I wish I could say that I had – you know, some sort of uh, selfless desire to go out and help people. But the truth is, like many people, I was just trying to make my way in life. I was trying to survive. And through that process, I, you know, stumbled upon some principles, including that Ziegler principle you talked about uh, based on that quote where he says, you know, if you, you can get everything that you want uh, in life if you help enough people get what they want. And that was something that I really stumbled upon. And, and the way it happened was I was – uh, working a job at a nonprofit, I had this desire to write, you know, a, a desire to just kind of share my words with the world. I, I didn't really know what I had to say, but it was just this itch. I just had an itch that I felt like I needed to scratch, and I tried lots of different things, read books, went to conferences. I couldn't figure it out. I had a good job. Uh, I was making uh, good enough money at the time 
uh, and I, I felt like I was I was working for a nonprofit. I felt like, shouldn't I be happy? Shouldn't I be fulfilled doing this? And yet it, I felt like there was more I had to offer. And, uh, and so I tried a bunch of things and eventually, um, you know, figured, figured it out, figured some things out. And the result was, you know, what you mentioned, this um, platform bigger than I ever could have imagined, reaching hundreds of thousands of people every month and uh, books and online courses uh, and a lot of it, you know, I just sort of stumbled across. I now run this business helping writers and creative people succeed. But it really just began with a question that I had, which is, do I have more to offer? Okay, well, I want to dig into some of those pieces. But even yeah. to that specific question, what you have to offer, I mean, there are a lot of people who desire to help others and offer value. And I, and I think to a degree know that they have something that they could impart yeah. to others. But as I, I'm sure you've run into as you work with so many people we're so prone as humans to say, yeah, who am I though to stand up and act like I'm have something more than anybody else. And we discount ourselves. What is it in you that said, no, I'm, I, I can, I do have something and, and I'm okay to do that. I, who, who am I? I'm Jeff. And I can, where, where is that? Cause you know, a lot of people discount themselves and what a tragedy. Yeah, it is. You know, and I wish I, I wish there was a pep talk. You know, I, I believe in affirmations, another zig thing. Uh, I believe that you can change the way you think about yourself. Uh, but I also think that uh, uh, these voices of shame, I'm not good enough, uh, inadequacy, insecurity, uh, some of these things don't go away until you start doing some stuff and proving to yourself I can actually do this. And so I think that confidence in many ways follows competence. And, and one of the best ways for you to um, feel better about the things that you have to offer the world is to just start offering things and see how people resonate with them. And so, you know, for me, I, I didn't know. Like it wasn't like I had this great idea and I went, you know, on a retreat, you know, in a cabin in the mountains and came back and said, I know what I have to offer the world. I'm going to start a business and it's going to be great. I did not know, but I had an itch. I had something that wouldn't go away. And so I started scratching. And for me, I've always loved words. I have always been a creative person uh, in high school and college. I played in musical groups, uh, you know, in different bands. I toured with a band for a while. I acted, I drew, I created art. You know, I did lots of different creative things. And um, Dan Miller in his book, 48 Days of the Work You Love, talks about how a passion can kind of have multiple applications. And and like so it's not that you just have to do this one thing. If you have a creative desire, there are multiple ways to channel that. Stephen Pressfield calls these shadow careers. There are things that are a shadow of the greater calling that we all have. And you try different things and they're not necessarily the thing, but they inform what that thing is. They give you an idea of what it is. And so for me, I realized writing is going to be a part of this. I started a blog and every day, 365 days a year, uh, I gave away free content, 500 to 1,000 word articles, helpful content that I thought would help other writers who were struggling as I had struggled. And I just I, – I wasn't even like being a guru. I was just saying here's some stuff that I think I figured out. Uh, if it helps you, great. And after a year of doing that, people started emailing me every day saying, can I buy something from you. And so it wasn't that I had some big idea. It was that I, I think I like I have a need. And so the way that I'm going to try to meet this need is first by 
trying to meet other people's needs. And if there's resonance, if I put something out into the world and I get feedback and people go, hey, I like that. That was helpful to me. I've just created value. And over time, obviously, you can take that in a lot of different directions. That Dan Miller guy, I've heard good things about him. He's great. Yeah, I he's like, a good guy. I like him too. I like him too. Well, real quick, I do want to go back to you talking about, you know, I had a, had a good, had a good job. It paid well yeah. enough. It was an, an altruistic uh, effort, yep. which is good. Shouldn't I be, and you said this, shouldn't I be happy? Shouldn't I be fulfilled? And again, so many people I think are in that place too. Did you ever have someone bring to you or the thought of yourself of, gosh, this, am I, is this really responsible to jeopardize what I'm doing? Shouldn't, I mean, how big of a crux was that? And is there anything that helped you be more, be a comfort for striving for more? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, I'll, I'll kind of go a level deeper because, Please. you know, I'm a person of faith. This was a Christian ministry. And so there was a whole other layer, layer of guilt, like, do I quit doing ministry to oh, go do blasphemy? Business? Yeah, and I'm sure you know so many of your listeners are maybe people of faith and can relate to that because uh, typically the story in the church is I gave up you know uh, millions of dollars to go be a missionary somewhere, and I was literally doing the opposite. <laughs> I like that, and I I really struggled with that, huh. and um and so here's what happened is after a year of blogging, uh, helping other writers just by giving away lots of free content. And I really believe for a lot of people, this is where it begins. You don't, uh, you know, put a sign out at the front of your door and say, I'm now charging for advice. You go out and see if your, uh, advice, your wisdom, your experience can actually help people. You go out and create value in the world. And if people say, Hey, this is good. It's not a question of making them pay you. It's a matter of letting them. And so I did this for a year and literally I got an email a day from a stranger saying, can I buy something from you? And the answer was, no, I have nothing for sale. So I was like, well, I guess I'll go create something for sale. Beauty. And I went and I did that. And I sold it to my audience, a little ebook for $3, and I sold 500 copies in a weekend, and I was making uh, about $3,000 a month. I was making a, a, a decent salary where my wife and I had you know, two incomes, and, and that was supporting the family. But she was about to have a baby, and we were about to lose an income stream, and I was trying to find some ways to make that up. And so I had this blog. And, and so I just started finding ways to monetize it. And that $1,500 turned into $15,000. And by the end of the year, it turned into $150,000. I tripled our household income uh, in less than a year. And here I am working at a ministry and I've got this side hustle working, you know, an hour or two a day on the side, uh, you know, in between baby feedings in the middle of the night or whatever. And uh, at the end of the year, all my friends are like, quit your job, quit your job. And I really struggled because I felt like, is this greedy? Is this wrong? And I had a conversation with a friend, uh, a mentor of mine, a guy who was about twice my age, and he said this. And he was a very successful uh, businessman. He was also a man of faith. And he said – I said, what do I do here? Do I quit my job? Do I not do this? What is the right thing to do? And he said um, – he said, look – uh, what's happened to you is rare. He said, I know you and I didn't see it coming. I don't think anybody saw it coming. You need to consider at least the possibility that this is your calling and that not doing it, that not doing it might in fact be an act of disobedience to God. And I had 
honestly never considered that. I had never considered that my calling could be to leave ministry and go into business and that I might be able to help more people and offer hope to more people through that vehicle because that was just not the story I grew up hearing and I'm sure other, you know, other people who grew up in church uh can, you know, uh relate to that. And and so I really struggled with that for a few months. Uh then I finally went to my boss and I said, I think it's time for me to move on. Here's what happened. I explained him what happened. He knew. I mean, I'd been telling him kind of along the way. And he said, you got to go do this. I've been waiting for this conversation. Uh, and I asked him for his blessing. He said, mm. he said, I give you my blessing. He goes, I, I, like, just, you know, let's stay friends. And he continues to be a mentor and guide to me, um, you know, uh, years later. And so for me, that was a really important step because it was confirmation that this was not just some idea that I had cooked up, but it was really a part of my purpose, what I was meant to do. And so, like I said, I stumbled across this and realized uh, through the process that I could help people, that this was rare, and I had a responsibility to respond to that call and, and go all in on it. Okay, well, I want to take that. You, you, we've used the word stumbling a lot, and I'm going yeah. I'm I'm to push back on you a, a little bit in that because you also talked about, okay, it may not be that you are fully self-affirmed and confident, you know, that you, right. but, that, but that competence, you use the word competency, uh, and then you also mentioned a minute ago a mentor, Yep. Um, that you had. So I wanted to back into that a little bit. Well, with your, with your writing and with your internet business, in essence, your internet offering of that, what did yep. you do? Were you just uh, Mr. Brilliance in your basement all by yourself? Or did you seek out counsel resources, tools, and do some of the homework to get better skilled at what you then offered and the opportunity opened up? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, that's well said. Uh, when I say stumbling, I mean I did not have a master plan. I did have a vision. I had an idea, and uh, when my wife and I got pregnant, uh, all of a sudden this became real because I realized this hobby where I was just helping people on the side, uh, writing a blog kind of for my own personal self-expression, all of a sudden it became uh, a legitimate cost to – my family and me where I was spending an hour or two a day doing this thing that wasn't bringing in any income and it, and money all of a sudden was uh, a necessity because my wife really wanted to stay home and be a mom for a few years. And I had the opportunity, I believe, to make that happen. Uh, and so that was my vision. I was, But I didn't know how to do this. I had never been an entrepreneur. I never started a business, period. So I had an idea of what I wanted my life to look like and what I wanted my family uh, to have. And then I just tr started trying stuff. I did research. I Googled, <laughs> you know, I think there's so many answers that you get just by Googling. Uh, and I, and I uh, sought out people who had done it. I realized I lived in a city in Nashville where there were some people who were already in this scene, you know, who had online businesses. I reached out to people like Dan Miller and Michael Hyatt, John Acuff, and other people who were authors and entrepreneurs and speakers. And um, I tried to get in front of them. And I bought their lunch, bought their coffee, did whatever I could, and, and just sat down. And uh, And I was familiar with their stories. And, and I would ask them specific questions. What, like, why did you do this at this point? And, and I gleaned from their stories, lessons and insights and wisdom that I started applying to my own journey. And then I would try stuff. And there were things that didn't work. And there were things that did. And I, I realized... Uh, I realized this actually years later, you know, now ha helping 
lots of other people bridge this gap between where they are and where they want to be, that one of the things that you have to have that I guess comes somewhat naturally to me, but I did have to develop this, is grit. It is the ability to try lots of different things. And if one thing doesn't work, you just try something else. You keep going. And I realized this early on because I got really discouraged. I had started seven or eight different blogs before I started this one. So this wasn't my first rodeo. It was just the first time it succeeded. And I believe it succeeded because it had to succeed. Because uh, I had a, a nine-month deadline where we were had this baby on the way, and I wanted to provide for my family. I didn't know how to do that, but I was determined to figure it out. And I tried lots of different things until things started to work. And then when something worked, I would tweak it and I would build upon it. So I, I mentioned, you know, uh, selling 500 copies of this $3 ebook and making $1,500 in a weekend. Well, th I took that book and I took the lessons that I learned from that. And three months later, I re-released it and, and applied all the things that I'd learned since then. I grew my email list. I created some bonuses. And I did a full-on book launch. And I made $16,000 in less than a month relaunching the successes, and I tried to build upon them. Then I took that book and I turned it into an online course that to date has made me millions of dollars. And so instead of chasing the next thing, I would, you know, I, I would, if I failed, I would, you know, scrap the failure and I'd go try something else. But when I succeeded, I'd take that success and I'd try to build upon it. Man, so you, you paid your dues in essence. I did not know that about the other blogs that you had paid your dues. So that has value, but then it's, again, it's not the first time I think that people have heard it. I, I hope, but you're bringing it home. You then got committed. You got committed. It got serious yeah. and you did what it took. And there you got the fruit. Um, again, that's why I love the story. It's so I think everybody can attest to pieces of it. And when you share it in this way, how can we deny the validity? So thank you. Um, yeah. So you, you talk about, you know, in, in regards to the show right now, you even said you wanted to inspire the Ziegler Show audience with the message that they and everyone has a creative gift to share. So I thought that was an interesting that you chose the word creative. So give us, as you're thinking in that context or your own economy, uh, give us a definition of creative. You didn't say a, a great idea. You didn't say a, a passion, you know, creative. Define that for us. In the, and again, in the reference you were thinking. As Jeff prepares to give his definition of creative, I want to thank Salesforce for their support of today's Ziegler show. If you do marketing in your business, hopefully you realize that mass emails or general ad campaigns are not as effective as they used to be. Salesforce is here to help. You can create a new path with your marketing and deliver the unique brand experiences your customers want. With Salesforce, marketers open doors between business units by sharing data to collaborate across marketing, sales, service, and commerce. Be smarter and more predictive with your marketing by making recommendations using collaborative data and solve concerns with service integration. Engage your customers on any device and channel in real time, from social media to your connected products, gathering key insights into your customer and business relationships at every stage. Adjust campaigns as you go to drive leads and pipeline. Do all this and more while collecting data from every interaction to build a complete view of every customer and manage your marketing strategy from your desk or your phone. Be a customer trailblazer. Discover one connected platform for one connected customer experience with Salesforce, the customer success platform. Learn more at salesforce.com. 
salesforce.com slash Ziggler. Again, that's salesforce.com slash Ziggler. Sure. You know, I mentioned, you know, I'm a person of faith and, and so I believe that, uh, you know, God is the creator and we are, we're all created to be creative and we, we share pieces of that. Uh, we share pieces of that nature. Uh, and so I think whether you think of yourself as a creative person, you have creative potential. Uh, every single day we are creating things. Those of you who are, who are parents helped create life. Uh, those of you who have any kind of job, uh, every day you're having to make things, create things. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily writing books or delivering speeches or, you know, molding clay. Uh, but you have to make decisions every single day, unless you have some micromanaging boss who's literally telling you, do this, pick up this pencil, put this here. We're all making decisions every single day to do our work this way or that way, to talk to our kids this way or that way. All of that requires creativity. It requires uh, what I believe is is an innate gift uh, that we can exercise and use. And, and I get that there's sort of this dichotomy. You're either creative or you're not creative. You're left brain or you're right brain. But the truth is the more we begin to understand the science of the brain uh, – there's not a left brain and a right brain. There are certain functions that are dedicated to this or that, but we're whole brained. You know, you use your whole brain and, and we all have strengths and weaknesses, but I believe that everybody has, uh, the opportunity to share something that is uniquely theirs. Maybe you're an encourager. Uh, maybe you are a natural leader when you see people just kind of, uh, running around like chickens with their heads cut off. You go, guys, like, let's just do this. You naturally see solutions to problems. Uh, maybe you're, you're a great uh, person who kind of comes alongside other people and helps them accomplish their vision. We all have a gift to share. And I think uh, what we as human beings can offer that the robots and computers can't, at least not yet, uh, is we have the ability to improvise. We have the ability to change things uh, on the fly, try things I just you know with a little bit of a different tweak or whatever it might be. And so I'm a writer, uh, but I've been doing creative things my whole life, and I, I've done that in the ministry field. I've done that in the nonprofit field. I've done that as a marketer. I've done that as an, as an entrepreneur. I do that as a speaker. Again, all this means is that I am taking something that wasn't and, and, and bringing it into, to being. And that could be simply like by borrowing a bunch of, you know, wisdom from other people's experiences and then, and then combining it, hodgepodging it together in a new collection. That's a creative act. But yeah, I, I personally believe that we're all creative and we have something to uh, offer the world. I love seeing you know, people unlock that potential. And that doesn't mean everybody's going to go you know, paint a masterpiece, literally. But it does mean that you have some control over your life and the things that you bring into this world. And that's what we need from you. I mean, that's the work that only you can do. Whether or not you get paid for it, you have a responsibility to answer that call and share your gift. Okay, perfect lead. And that was literally my next question is so in discovering and trying to discern what a viable gift and yeah, to be faith based, a, a, a talent, a, uh, as in the parable of talents, uh, to, sure. to bring forth when should, uh, 
should it always be, okay, now I got to make a vocation out of this. I have to earn my income out of this. Cause what I hear you saying is that may be. And of course I, I, as I think you would too love that in our own lives, but that if it's not, that at least has to be part of your life. Would you say then, because in and of that, of doing that thing, it's going to fuel whatever else you're doing, even if it's something else for income. Yeah, so I don't think you start off, and I'm specifically talking about this idea of a calling. You you mentioned the word vocation, Kevin, and there's kind of two words that we use in our culture interchangeably, vocation and occupation. But historically, those are two very different words. Uh, an occupation is something that occupies your time. Uh, a vocation, uh, literally, you know, if you go to the Latin root, vocare means to call. It is a calling. Uh, and so I, I separate those. You can have an occupation and a vocation, and those aren't necessarily the same thing. But I, I think that when you're when you're seeking a purpose, a calling, how do you share your gift with the world? Uh, I don't think it begins with how do I get paid to do this? Because I believe if you do it well enough, if you add enough value in the world, um, there is, there's going to be people who will want to compensate you for that. So I do think it can naturally follow that. But uh, I get up every day and do my work, not because I get paid. However, I get paid so that I can get up and do my work every day and not have to worry about how I'm going to you know, pay the mortgage most days. Uh, but the work must be done regardless. And like I said, I was doing this work long before people were paying me. I did this for two years semi-successfully before the income really started to come in. And I did it with lots of failure seven years before uh, and lots of fits and starts. I don't necessarily think it takes that long, but I was just – chasing every little shiny object. So it begins with you sharing your gift and looking for resonance. And so I'm, I'm kind of bullish about this. I know lots of people go, my calling is this or my purpose is, is this, and people just won't pay me for it. People just don't like it. Again, I'm talking about sharing something that helps somebody, that impacts somebody. Uh, I am a writer, and I love writing for self-expression, uh, but that's journaling. I don't ex like when I'm writing on my blog, when I'm publishing stuff in magazines or online articles or in books, I'm trying to help people. Even if I'm sharing an experience, and I, I love it while I'm doing it, but I'm not doing this just because I love it. I'm doing it because I know it's going to resonate with and help somebody. So I think it begins by identifying something that you have that you can share. And Derek says, Derek Siver says it like this: What's obvious to you is amazing to others. Find something that's obvious to you. Maybe you're good at computers. Maybe you're just a, a natural declutterer. You just you know pick up messes. If so, come over to my house. I'd love to have you over. Me too. Maybe you're great at at cooking or giving advice or uh, offer you know whatever it might be. You have something that's obvious to you that's amazing to others. And here's the problem: it's obvious to you, so you may not know that it's amazing. Uh, so my advice is very simple. Find five people that you can help with something that's obvious to you. And if you can find five people, you can probably find 50 and 500 and so on. And if you can't find five people, try something else. My story really begins not with a blog, but with my day job where I was a communications director uh, at a mission organization, a nonprofit ministry. And my job was uh, I was the marketing director and then I became the communications director. Every Monday, I started teaching a staff of our writers something about writing. Here's how to you know write a compelling headline. Here's how to write a great article. Here's how to tell a good story. 
And I was helping a dozen people with that every week, and they loved that. And I thought, what if I record it? And I recorded it. And then I took what I – and then we shared it with the organization and lots of people like that. And so then I said, what if I put it on the internet? And I took those recordings and I turned them into articles. And I started sharing stuff that was so obvious to me I felt embarrassed to share it because I thought people are going to go, what, why are you sharing this? Everybody knows this. And I started getting comments. Wow, this is amazing. This is great. And uh, in six months, I grew the audience to 75 people. Well, it wasn't very big. And then the next six months, I grew it to 10,000 people. And and people started, started to catch on, and there was this exponential growth that happened. I just did my work every day. I started sharing something that was obvious to me, and over time, it began to catch on, and people talked about it. They, they responded, and they said, this is great. What about this? I said, good idea. I'll, I'll write something about that. And these things have a way of building on each other. But it ha- you have to start with one person. Help one person, and that doesn't go, hey, I'm a coach. You should pay me $100 an hour to coach you. It should be, hey, friend, what problems do you have? Oh, I'm really struggling with this. Hey, have you tried such and such? It starts by helping somebody. If you can help enough people get what they want, I, I love this quote, um, You know, enough people will come back around and they'll help you get what you want. My dad taught me a lesson very early on in life, and it took me basically 30 years to apply it, uh, but he said this. He says, what goes around comes around. And I, I just found that to be a very true principle in life, and that that applies for both negative and positive impact. And um, yeah, I mean, here I am, uh, amazed by the truth of those words today. Well, I, I appreciate that, and uh, we have a mutual friend in Andy Traub. That's a guy who taught me a great, great lesson in that as he yeah. came into an organization that myself and my my dad Dan Miller were. We're doing it. He came in and he just gave and gave and gave. And it was just undeniable. I mean, how could you not ask him to be involved? And then he ended up uh, doing leadership stuff and and is today as well for a lot of people, including my dad. Um, Well, so back, you know, to what you said, so powerful, Jeff, that, you know, taking your creative gift, how can you offer it in a way, and I'm paraphrasing, but that offers value, use the word resonates. A resonance with yeah. others. And if you do that, if you provide value, you will get paid, but you've got to do the work to figure that out. And I think uh, a lot of people get caught up in that. I hope you're hearing Jeff's, Jeff's words. Now, you also talked about that word vocation, vocare, your calling, your gift. So I want to ask you about that because you're talking about writing. And if that is a primary vehicle, would you call that that say, hey, my gift is writing? Or does it go deeper as you're now leading so many people and influencing them into communicating them, inspiring them? Do you have an ability to resonate in a way that that calls them up? I'm always curious in, in with, with folks like you who are impacting, influencing others. They are listening to you. What do you see as your true creative gift that maybe is even deeper than the mere written word? Sure. Yeah. You know, I, I wrote this book about finding your calling, the art of work, and uh, lots of people after reading that book said, well, what if my calling changes? Like this is the like probably the biggest question I get on this subject. Hmm. Can it change? And my answer to that is no. Like I don't think like your, your purpose for life dramatically changes. To me, that sort of suggests like God made a mistake when he made you or, or changed his mind or something. And it just doesn't really make sense to me uh, from that sort of perspective. But here's the thing. Uh, like – I'm a parent and of two young kids, and what I'm learning as our son grows up, he's four now, so he's still got a, a lot of you know uh, life left to live. But the um, 
the way in which we parent him now, and we've got a, an infant, a, a nine-month-old as well, is not the way that we parent our daughter, um, who needs a lot more, you know, handholding, uh, literally. And and our son, we're trying to teach him uh, that that his actions have consequences, and 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 what we're trying to do, I think, is like teach him that like you do this now and you go in timeout versus if you don't learn this now, like you're going to be in jail. Like this is what we're trying to save our child from. Right. Um, you know, and so uh, the, you know, like it changes though, like the leash that we give him, so to speak, when he's a teenager is going to be different than the one he has now or the one he had when he was an infant. Similarly, I wonder if the way we understand our purpose in life is like that, where, when I'm 21, I have this idea of what I think my calling might be. And when I'm 31, it's different. When I'm 41, you know, and so on. Um, all that to say, I thought I was going to be – like I thought my gift to share was writing. And the more I do this, the more I realize that writing in many ways is a vehicle for me. It is very much uh, a core piece of what I do, and it's something that I love to do. Uh, but uh, I really think that what I love about writing is the opportunity to connect people with ideas. And so I've got a small team that I lead now. Uh, I teach online courses, uh, I teach a, a few courses um, a few times a year. Uh, I lead a conference. I, I do all these different things, and they look very different, I think, on, on, on the outside. But for me, they all fe feel like I'm operating in my wheelhouse, which is – uh, I love doing creative stuff, but I, I realized that like I don't want to just do it for myself. I want to do it in a way that resonates with people. So you know, I look back on all these shadow careers, being an actor in college, playing music after college, being a marketer for you know seven years for a nonprofit, and I go, this was all the same thing. It was taking uh, a, a something that a creative work, an idea. And putting it in front of people and seeing how it resonates and getting feedback on it. And so when I'm leading our team meetings or talking to somebody on, on, on my staff right now, I'm trying to cast vision for uh, you know what I want them to do or, or where I see them growing and you know their gifts, and and then giving them an you know like here's a story, here's an idea, here's how you get there, and I'm trying to help them grow into their potential. Again, that's just ideas and people making that connection. And I love seeing that happen. And so, yeah, I, I think the older I get and the older we get, our understanding of what our calling is, our vocation evolves. Yeah. But my hope is these things continue to build on each other, not like you're throwing something out and chasing something else. And again, I, I still have a lot of life left to live. And so maybe that'll happen. But right now it feels like a cumulative thing. And there are false starts and things that I chase and I realize that's actually not part of it. That's not what's driving me here. I'm going to shift gears here. But for the most 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 part, it feels like these things are accumulating. Well, so I, I in what you talk about being a writer and you mentioned being a, uh, a dad and, yeah. you know, can my calling change? It's a great, that's a great thing thought. I don't know that I've ever heard anybody really pose it that way. I've had debates with my dad and can your personality style change over mm -hmm. time, but mm -hmm. can your calling right. change? And I, I would agree. That no. And, and to my good friend, Gary Barkelow, he's the author of a book called, uh, it's your call. And he talks about that. Yeah. We have these different roles. So being a writer is, is one role, being a dad is a role, being an athlete is a role or woodworker or whatever. All you, how many roles do we have? Uh, and mm, is that our calling? Like that. 
And you, I hear you resonating with him saying, no, your calling stays true. You may live it out in different ways. And that's been very impacting to how, yeah, as you talk about kids, you know, I've got, I've got a handful and uh, they're, they're, they're each different. And if I parent each one the same way, I'm going to fail with some, succeed with others. Um, so I like how you frame that. Well, on that, uh, to be specific with your, with one of your organizations, Tribe Writers, uh, and in your helping people there with writing, I'm curious. I've not been in there myself. I, I need to as a writer. I can use all the help that I can. Uh, how much of the effort in there, and I'm not asking about just that product. I am some, but as other people who are listening, who are looking at their products, how much of that is literal writing, skills, tactics, strategy, grammar, yada, yada, and how much of it, though, is the inspiration, motivation uh, to bring it to, uh, to, to have the, the what, as you said, the grit to bring it to the, an audience, bring it to the world? Yeah, that's a great question, Kevin. I, I, think that, um, I think that there's sort of two camps right now that I see, particularly on the internet when it comes to this sort of thing. Uh, certainly, it's, it's not a new idea to a lot of people that uh, this is a great opportunity. Uh, we live in, a, in, an, in an age where, I mean, we're using this amazing technology right now to broadcast your voice to thousands, if not millions of people. Uh, I mean, literally for nothing. I mean, it's incredibly cheap, if not free. This thing that we're doing right now is free. We're recording this. Uh, we're spending our time. We're putting it on the internet for free and, and it will reach, you know, uh, tons of people. Uh, that's an incredible opportunity. And so obviously there are a lot of voices. There's a lot more noise. There's more competition, but still, I mean, the playing field is level and it's an amazing time to be alive. If you, uh, are a speaker, a writer, uh, an, uh, an aspiring entrepreneur, you want to do these things. Uh, you literally have never had an opportunity like this before, and it is uh, incredible. So what do you do? Well, I think there's two camps. One is all about the tactics, all about the strategies. Build an email list, sell them stuff, become an infopreneur, you know, and, and live the good life. And that's true. Those things work. And then there's the other camp, uh, the camp that I kind of come from where you've got kind of your hard and fast writers, artists, uh, people who really live and die for the craft, and they're all about just becoming better. And, and the older I get, the more I do my work, the more I care about that. I just want to do work that I'm proud of and you know, find a way to pay the bills. Um, but I find that these two camps of people, kind of marketers and artists, like don't intersect very often. And I feel like they both have things to teach each other. And so particularly with tribe writers, we try to bring those two worlds together. What's working in the world of marketing? Because I kind of, you know, I lived in that world for seven years. I was a marketing director at a nonprofit. I learned all about email lists and conversions and metrics and all that stuff. Uh, and at the same time, I, I mean, I just love sort of the creative, artistic side as well. Make something great. Write great books. Create great art. Uh, make great products that are going to help people. And these two camps kind of need each other. And so. With tribe writers, and really just you know across the board, I think that um, before you think about all those tactics, you first have to begin with um, the message. You need to clarify the message. Do I have something worth saying that is going to resonate with somebody else? I call that honing your voice. You need to figure out 
uh, what it is that you have to say that is unique to you. Again, I think you can steal from a bunch of different influences and obviously quote the people that you're stealing from, but say, you know, Dan Miller says this and Zig Ziglar says this and Kevin Miller says this and bring it all together. And like, here's what I think. And that's a creative thing, but you've got to figure out what it is that you have to say before you go, you know, chase some list building strategy. Then I think you have to actually build an asset. You have to create a platform uh, around your unique voice. And I think there's more than one way to do this. I don't think there's a million ways to do it. I think there's probably five major ways to do that. There's five different personality types that uh, you know, I, I think you can use to kind of build a platform. One would be uh, what's called the professor, which is you you teach stuff, you read books, you you know uh, ch- do studies or whatever, and then you share the information with people. Uh, Michael Hyatt is a great example of this. Uh, he he takes complex systems and turns turns them into easy to follow processes. Uh, another one would be the journalist. Most podcasts are this. Most Q and A interview podcasts uh, are using the journalist platform. What are you doing? You're really building your influence uh, off of other people's influence. Oprah did this for decades. She was not an expert, but she became an expert by doing what? Talking to all the experts. And so there are different ways to build a platform, uh, but there's you know also proven things that you need to do that have always worked. Uh, then from there, once you have a platform, you want to go where you know you want to show up in the channels where other people are already showing up. So if you know somebody has a big blog or a podcast or an, a, a physical event, whatever it might be, go where people are, share your message there, and then say, "Hey, come come back to my platform and and check this out." I call that expanding your reach. And then lastly, if you do all these things, the fourth and final step in this process is you're going to get paid. Again, I don't think it's a, a process of making people pay you, but it is about letting them pay you. And that's just as simple as clarifying your message by honing your voice, building a platform around your unique uh, personality, the things that you have to offer, whether that's your personal personality or like your brand's personality, but it's about you know adding unique value to the world in a way that is, uh, again, unique to you, uh, expanding your reach by showing up where people are, and then ultimately offering something of so much value that people are willing to pay you for it. And that is a process that any writer can follow, whether they, they write fiction or nonfiction. Uh, it is a process that any entrepreneur can follow, podcaster, uh, you name it. It's not about the tools. I think people get caught up in the tools a lot. These are principles. These are things that have always been true. You, you, people have things to share that other people value. And if you put them in the marketplace, if you put them out in the world, uh, you can find a way to make a living off of these things. But as I said at the beginning, it really is about starting with figuring out what it is that you have to say, what it is that you have to share. And if you can can find resonance, you can build upon that and you know all the other steps will follow. Okay, that that statement right there, Jeff, if you can find resonance. So you said something unique about your Tribe Writers platform, which folks I've been talking about, I talked about it in the in the intro, tribewriters.com, go there uh, to connect with Jeff and what he's doing. So in there, something that is unique, you stated, is that it does bring that union together of marketing and artistry, in essence, which are both needed. So I like That's that. Right. And I, I've got a couple questions on that, but I do want to, because we have so many people, yeah, we have tens of thousands of people listening to this. So many of them have something they want to bring to the marketplace, have something they want to offer others. They're trying that, they're working in that. 
the personal aspect of it, and I'm, I'm going to grapple and how to ask this, Jeff, of you as the principal person bringing this in people are, cause there are other people out there that are teaching good writing stuff. They have great skills. Maybe their skills are even better than Jeff Goins. However, as I'm seeing it, uh, you're leading the charge in many ways. I, your numbers are, are, are significant. They're impressive. And I wonder, and I'm not asking you to toot your own horn. That's why I'm grappling with this a little bit to say, Hey, how, mm. why are you so great? But why are people finding residents with you? Because that's of interest. We know that a lot of people can go out there, a lot of great skills and abilities, but you're going to resonate with somebody. People resonate with you. What, what do you think it is? You know, one of the, the most helpful things that I've learned and had to remind myself of recently this year, and, and I think it was a, a lesson that I learned from afar uh, from my friend and mentor, Michael Hyatt, um, and Mike and I have been friends for years, but I just like a couple years into this friendship, I was just watching him on Twitter. You know, I try to pay attention to people who are my heroes and just, I think you learn so much, not listen, you, you learn from listening. Uh, but I think you learn a lot from actually watching people do like do their craft in public. Uh, you know, and so that's why I'm excited to bring my, start bringing my son to work sometime. And, uh, you just, you learn things by seeing people approach their work that you don't learn just over coffee when somebody says in an, in an ideal scenario, this is what I would do. So I saw this tweet one time where somebody was just like tearing Michael Hyatt a new one and saying, uh, I didn't like this when you did such and such. Duh, 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 duh. And I mean, this was like one of 250,000 followers that he had. And he replied, I'm not for everyone. And I like he, I don't think he, he wasn't being snarky, wasn't being a jerk. He said, makes sense. I'm not for everyone. And I, that would just kind of blew me away. Cause I thought, what would I do in this scenario? I'd probably try to like my, the, the people pleaser in me would try to like, well, I, I can I can make you like me, and then I'd get mad and I'd resent him and I'd yell at him and like, and I was like, wait, no, the healthy thing is I'm not for everyone, and the problem, uh, I think the problem today is we live in this world where it is easier than ever to connect one on one with people, and yet we still think we live in this age of uh, mass communications, mass media. Uh, I, I, you know, I think it's uh, the walking dead or mad men when it was on was like the most popular show on television. Uh, and it's a cable TV show and like, I don't know, a few million people a week watch it. And it is like 1% of the viewing population, uh, compared to, you know, growing up in the sixties or seventies, even the early eighties when I grew up where like you had three, four five channels and, Literally like 67 70% of the population watch these things. Yeah. You know, so if the president came on uh, major network television, everybody was watching it. Mm. That, that's not really happening anymore. All of our channels are fragmented. So um, I, I love the fact that I don't have to be for everyone, and that's empowered me to be for someone, for me to be like people who are like me, who are artists and creatives who want to – share their work with the world. So when I talk to the writer who goes, I just want to write for myself and I don't care about selling any books, I go, I love that. Good for you. I'm not for you because I tried that. 
I thought that's what I wanted. And then when I was writing books that nobody was reading and writing blog posts that nobody was reading, um, that was really frustrating. And so I realized I want to create work that resonates with people. And then on the other hand, uh, for like the hard and fast, you know, entrepreneurs who just want to make their next million, uh, I'm not for them either because I tried that too. You know, I, I, I checked my ethics at the door and I chased the almighty dollar just for the sake of it being a number that I could keep growing. And that felt kind of empty as well. And so I thought, well, that's not what I want either. I want to do work that resonates and here's what success looks like to me. And the thing that I hear a lot, Kevin, these days, and I'm trying to lean into this, is um, people appreciate my message because it's authentic. There's a little bit of uh, self-deprecation, a little bit of, hey, I'm figuring this out as I go. Uh, I don't have all the answers, uh, but I'm going to be honest with you. And I think what we want, what I want uh, is I want a leader, a guide, a mentor I can trust. I don't want somebody perfect. I want somebody who can empathize with me. So I have a friend who's uh, coaching me through some health health stuff, trying to lose some weight, get into better shape. This person, like I've tried to like hire the bodybuilders and you know be with the people who have like you know negative one percent body fat their whole lives. I don't trust them because I can't relate to them, and frankly, they can't relate to me. And and so I'm talking to a guy now who's lost over a hundred pounds, and I go, you know, like I have this craving. He goes, I totally get that. Here's how I work through that, and that's a guy that I can trust. But that's like he's not for everybody. But he's definitely for me, and this is the power of the internet these days is you don't have to be for everyone. If you are one in a million, you are that special snowflake that your mommy told you you were, um, like that's really good news because if there's seven billion people in the world, the way the math works out is that means if you're one in a million, there's 7,000 people out there just like you. That's a pretty powerful tribe. Can you imagine if 7,000 people showed up at your doorstep tomorrow and said, okay, we're here, like teach us stuff. Like that's enough. That's enough to make a living. That's enough to feel like you're living a life of impact. Uh, that's a mega church, you know, for the ministry minded folks. Uh, that's enough. And so I, I don't need to be the biggest, hottest, coolest thing. I just want to do my work and know that it's resonating with and helping enough people. And the more I sort of focus on that and realize I don't have to be for everyone, the ironic thing is it seems that the more people resonate with it. And again, I think it comes down to we want to trust a guide we can trust, somebody who is authentic and isn't going to lie to us and isn't going to, you know, isn't using us to build uh, their empire. And so, yeah, I'm not for everyone and I'm okay with that. Uh, your authenticity is so obvious that uh, I want to go join Tri Riders right now. Uh, literally, I, I can, you yeah. know, I, I can. Uh, I have not arrived yet in my own writing, and I hear you on that. It's a message I need to hear. I'm a people pleaser to a, uh, a, a an unhealthy degree, uh, but I like that. So thank you. I do want to read one thing off your website and have you just respond to it. And then we'll wrap up here. It says on your website, I think it's right on the front, getting noticed is hard. Let's face it. And I'm, I'm reading Jeff's words. The world's best writers aren't necessarily the most popular one. And if this bugs you as much as it should, then I'd like to help you get past that frustration and take the right actions to finally get noticed and find your own tribe of loyal followers. And then you go on to say right after that, get the attention your writing deserves. Are you tired of writing words nobody reads, sharing a message people just won't pay attention to? Most people with something to say are, it sounds to me, Jeff, like a authentic part of you 
is a heart for people who do have a valuable message. It is something that provides value and you don't want that to be hidden. That's right. That's absolutely right. And, um, I mean, here's the truth. Like, uh, you can be the best writer in the world. And, uh, if you're not sharing your work in the right way with the right people, uh, nobody's going to read it. Nobody's going to find it. And and I don't think you were given that gift, uh, for it not to be shared. And so I believe that we live in this incredible age of opportunity. Uh, but if you don't know how to take advantage of the opportunity, then your best work is going to literally die with you. And uh, I don't want that to happen. I've taught over 5,000 people in how to get the attention their messages deserve. Uh, And some of these people thought of themselves as writers. Some of them didn't. When I started my journey, I did not think of myself as a writer. But the more I used writing to share these ideas with the world and saw the impact they had on people, the more excited I got about it. And so I, I just I love being able to do that for other people and see the incredible stories that uh, uh, you know res- come come about as a, as a result of of that course and the teaching. And again, you know, if you're listening to this, uh, I hope you realize that wherever you are, um, you have something to say, uh, something important to share. And my encouragement to you is to find a way to share that and to get around to other people who encourage you in that because I do not think you can do this alone. Uh, in my experience, every story of success is really a story of community. So find some people uh, to help you uh, win and, and help them win as well. Like it, tribewriters.com, folks. And you know what? I would venture to say that even if writing is not your specific focal point, folks, that you would be well served to go be a part of that community for a while because what Jeff is teaching there is going to apply to many different ventures. So you can find Jeff Goins, like coins, as he said, G-O-I-N-S. You can find him Twitter, Facebook, elsewhere. He's easy to find. Type him into a search engine. Get connected with him. This is why we uh, have such a popular show, folks. We bring you the best. Uh, What can I offer? Jeff, thank you for giving us your time. Thank you for bringing your art to us and inspiring us to get our art out there as well. Thank you, Kevin. It's my pleasure. Folks, thanks for tuning in. We'll talk with you on the next Ziggler Show.